episode 648 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcast. I'm Todd, along Joe. How are we doing today, Joe? I uh, guesstimated 30, and uh, we hit 26 on the five Mississippis. And that makes oh. no sense to anyone, unless you've been on the call with us for the last hour. <laughs> Communicating perfectly, you know? That's uh, Right. If there's nothing that we're not outside of professional broadcasters, uh, experts, scanners of catalogs, but uh, we're also supreme communicators. Oh, we are the supremes of communication, so. Yes. I can't think of a supreme song right now, so let's get into what we're going to talk about on the show this week. Okay. Um, In news, uh, DC's free comic book day stuff and Marvel annuals, and maybe some of the stuff they're doing is because of the LHE, which I call the long box heroes effect, so... (laughs) We'll see. And also, spoiler covers. What's that all about? Um, conventions. What we read last week, and we have a full slate there. Human Target, number 12. Where Monsters Lie, number 2. And I Hate This Place, number 6. So double Kyle Starks in this one. What we're looking forward to this week. Also, Todd and Joe have issues where we do a uh, Todd Topsy on the latest issues, Sandman 19 and 20. Um Todd's art attack comes thundering back. And finally, spoiler-filled talk of the season three premiere of uh, The Mandalorian. And how short we can make our discussion of that. The name that tune version of the recap of the first episode of The Mandalorian. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Anyway, if this was a better show when you said about uh, Todd's art attack thundering back, I would have put in like a thunder sound effect. Right, we got to get you a mess, a soundboard, you know, because I, I do have, have a freebie soundboard, mm-hmm. but it's one of those things where if I use it, I have to do a screen share, right, and it makes the file bigger, right, and it takes longer for the episode to come out. Well, the file would need to be bigger to contain all the awesomeness of that soundboard. Mm-hmm. I think we're good being a non-sound effects podcast. How about that? Okay. All right. All right. Uh, so uh, Marvel announced this week that this summer they're bringing back a classic. No, I don't mean a classic character or a, um, how would we say, a uh, sexy-upped version of Agatha Harkness. Right. No, no. They're bringing back an event that spans across the annuals of your favorite comic books. That's right, because you were begging, where where are these, Joe? I was. As we, uh, you know, going all the way back to, um, what was, was there, a, was no, not Legends was a DC one. What was a DC crossover that went across the annuals? Eclipso for sure, right? Right, Eclipso, Armageddon 2001. There you go. One. Right. Um, um, I'm trying to remember some, there was the Dead Earths one that was mm-hmm. all Elseworlds. Uh, Marvel, I'm talking like 90s ones or 80s ones. Um, you know, Marvel had like Atlantis attacks uh, and that sort of thing. And as we are doing the previewing the past in 1993, Marvel and DC are doing ones. Um, Marvel's a little bit looser where it's just like, hey, we're introducing new characters and we're putting cards of the characters in there. It's their rookie appearances right. of all these hot new characters. Whereas DC, on the other hand, is doing bloodlines. Oh. 
<laughs> and that Norm Macdonald meme of all the stars are here covers both of those annual uh, events that Marvel and DC were doing in 1993. Now here we are 30 years later. Marvel is doing the same thing, um, doing a Scarlet Witch style event. Um, do we know across which annuals it's going to be just yet? Um, no, we don't know all of the annuals yet. It's just kicking off with the Scarlet Witch one, they are akinning it to more so Contest of Champions, since it's titled uh, Contest of Chaos. Right. Um, but again, an annual event is something I get a kick out of, and it's something you don't see very often, because usually <laughs> they stink and are forgotten about immediately after they happen. Are you telling me the <laughs> 1999 DC annual crossover JL Ape was bad, Joe? Uh, I'm not saying it was bad, but outside of the ape gimmick, I defy anyone to tell me what that was about. It was about apes, like you said. Mm-hmm. I do remember, I'm pretty sure Solivar was going to, like, the uh, United Nations, and he was wearing a suit with a half-peeled banana pin, lapel pin, which is my favorite thing ever. That just sums up that storyline right there. He should have been wearing a scratch-and-sniff 3D glasses. Oh, that would have been good. And he got from the baker at the Viewmont Mall. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have to, we're legally obligated to mention that at least once a month. Well, anytime apes come up, we have to, you know. Right. Now, DC on the other hand, while not officially having a annual spanning crossover event for the summer, they are taking advantage of Free Comic Book Day for the first time in quite some time. Um, and they are launching their big summer crossover, Dawn of DC, Night Terrors, there. And it's written by uh, Joshua Williamson. It's got art by Chris Bacallo and Howard Porter. All right, that's like pretty high-end team there on the book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's speculation that what kicks this whole crossover off is going to somehow involve Dr. Destiny, last seen, at least by us, uh, in Sandman, which we've been covering uh, in the Todd Topsy known as Todd and Joe have issues. <laughs> That's right. And Joe, I think like there's rumors of, because it's like a dream related thing that people are thinking that's, and with Sandman on Netflix and, you know, we're getting a season two that we may get something involving the dreaming and stuff like that. So I don't know. I, I I, I hope not. I'd like to see them kind of keep away from that. But uh, Dr. Destiny uh, has, has a foot in both worlds, so I'm okay with it. Yeah. And Joshua Williamson, I did enjoy the first issue of Superman that we re- reviewed last week. I know you had been really enjoying his Flash stuff. These now, yep. You know, the run that he did on Flash that wrapped up a little while back. Um, and he is getting bigger and bigger projects at DC, and it's free comic book day. You know, I'll get the book for free, and we'll give it a whirl. You know what I mean? Yep, and if you can't get it at a comic shop, you can always download it for free, too, when it comes yeah. out. Yeah, so. do it the way that everything has been kind of, I'm sure DC will make it easily available for <laughs> you uh, digitally, you know? Right, no hoops to jump through there. Yeah. Now, I will say this. I did notice, you know, because obviously we always bring this up whenever we talk about Free Comic Book Day. 
Um, and I think they did. They they skipped out on the Halloween one, the fake free comic book day this past year, right? I think so. Yes. Yeah. So like you know, we always mention, and we're a couple months out from it, of course. But we always say like, hey, when you go get your free comic books, you know, any good retailer worth their salt is going to be having sales. Buy some stuff. Don't just be a free lo- freeloader and go in there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because those free com those are free comics to you, but they're not free to the retailer. They got to buy them, right? Right. And uh, I know, and if at least this is the first time that I'm noticing it, that with the solicitation for DC's free comic book day offering, right, you could buy a foil variant of the free comic book day book. That's interesting. That's how you get. That's an opportunity from DC right there. <laughs> you ain't kidding. And it's like nine dollars, isn't it? Ten bucks. Yes, sir. Ooh. It's nine ninety nine. That's how you don't say ten bucks. You know, that's an old marketing trick. Yeah, it's ten bucks, right? <laughs> Are you even with one? my store discount? I still consider that ten bucks. You know? Are you gonna get one? No, but it's foil. That's okay. Is it chromium foil? Ooh, die cut and has a mm. prism enhanced hologram on the cover. But I think this is the first time that they're doing that. Any of the companies are doing a, a a higher priced variant of a free comic book day book. You know what? I can't I mean they may have, but I I didn't have my finger on the pulse of that like let's just put it this way, they never did it with books that I was be interested in because I always at least look at whatever DC and Marvel are doing for the free comic book day stuff because I'm like, Oh, this might tie into what I'm going to be getting next. You know, it might be the, the, the front, uh, you know, the first step of it, but maybe a smaller like indie company might've had something that, you know, slipped past me, but I don't remember DC or Marvel doing it, but somebody will probably prove us wrong. Yeah. Um, I think the closest there was, was uh, some of the books will had like a bigger space on the cover for mm-hmm. the retailer. Cause a lot of times they'll, leave like a blank UPC that the the store could like put their logo on, right? Right, the stamp. You're supposed to have your little stamp like for putting on checks. Remember checks, Joe? Right, yeah. I still write at least one check a year, at least. Right. I, I write several, but yeah, there is a spot that you're supposed to have like your little ink stamp that you're able to put on there with like your address and your contact information. I think there had been um, some books where they put like a bigger spot so you can put like a bigger stamp with more information, you know? Right. Right. Um, but wh- how do you feel about that on your free comic book? It, it isn't that going to make it not, uh, you, if you get it like uh, CGC or PGX as we do on this show, like you won't get a mint 10, you know, I'm not doing any of that nonsense. I wonder how many people actually <laughs> CGC their free comic book tables. <laughs> I'm I'm sure there 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 are some out there, but I don't have the time to go perusing the uh, CGC or PGX websites. <laughs> right, I know, it's just because they have the list of how many have been submitted and how many right. tens and nine point eights and all that other stuff. You know? It's just the musings of a madman here. That's all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, last but not least, in the news, um, as stuff for June is slowly starting to trickle out, um, the Dan Slot. Mark Bagley Spider-Man book um, was announced to have a variant cover that is going to have a spoiler of a new character or a character change that's happening in the book. We don't know much information about it because the announcement of this extra cover 
was announced the day that the final order cutoff stuff was done for retailers. And the day before, it was announced for the folks that get their books through Penguin Random House. Right. And there's people kind of saying, like, "Eh, that's a little dirty, not letting the retailers that still go through Diamond have the chance to order more of this variant cover and they're going to be a little bit more plentiful if the retailers get their stuff through Penguin Random House. Is this Marvel attempting to push more retailers to get their books through Penguin um, because they have a little bit better contract with them than they do with Diamond? Um, I'm just sad that this book by two of my favorite creators just isn't for me. And it's Spider-Man. It's Spider-Man, it's Dan Slott, it's Mark Bagley, and I dropped it after three issues. Right. But it's Dan Slott saying, you're going to want this issue. Remember the last time he did that, Joe? That was, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> the last time that he did that or the last time that he did it, it was true. See, I only remember the one time he did it when it mm. was turned into Superior Spider-Man. And it was true, right? And it was true. And then yeah. I don't think he ever did it again until now. No, he's done it several times since then. Mm. Um. My my biggest thing with this book is it's an Edge of Spider-Verse book. Mm-hmm. So there's like all the different spider people in it. And I like Spider-Man. I like Peter Parker. Um, I like the movies of the Spider-Verse stuff. Mm-hmm. But when you're cramming all these different spider people into one book, it's not as fun. As I, I always say, if everybody's a Spider-Man, nobody's a Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I get you. I get you. But I don't. I, I don't know. It feels a little weird. Marvel announcing this spoiler cover, um, and not giving retailers enough time to really get their orders in on it. Mm-hmm. But who knows? Maybe this is going to be the way of things to come. Uh, how things are done over at Marvel when it comes to stuff like this. You never know. And you know what I say, Joe? The answer to all of your questions is money, right there. Oh, that's true. Yep. Somehow it's money. Yep. Speaking of money, there's conventions this weekend, Todd. Right. Most notably, the Louisiana Comic-Con in Lafayette, Louisiana. Mm. Um, comic book folks there, at least notable that I saw, uh, was Rob Guillory. I think you would probably most notably know him as the artist on the book Chew. Right. Uh, Doug Jones is there, and I know you had questioned, how do I know who Doug Jones is? Um, but he's on the comic book convention circuit. That's how I know him. That's right. Saru from Star Trek Discovery. I don't know what that is. Uh, Kane Hodder is going to be there. Now, I don't know. I know there were some conventions where they were doing a gimmick where you can get your picture taken with Kane Hodder in the full Jason X getup. Ooh. Uh, I don't know. The website is unclear if you could do it here, so I'm going to default that you can't get it here. Right. Uh, I think that's more of a horror convention sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, Todd, from the world of sports and entertainment, I li- literally cannot think of two better people uh, to have at your convention to represent the world of sports and entertainment than Mick Foley and Kevin Nash. I will say Mick Foley, one heck of a birthday he has. (laughs) And then the other one, Supper Shredder, that's a two for deal right there. And, uh, you know, uh, I know on uh, Big Kev's podcast, he will absolutely talk about the time that he had here if things went well or things did not go well. Right. Uh, 
uh, last weekend. I forget what convention it was, but he was there, mm-hmm. and things went well. Uh, he t- he talked very glowingly at how things went, uh, who he hung out with. He even shouted out like who his like the person assigned to him from the convention was. Right. Um, flight was good. Hotel was good. Because if it wasn't, Kevin ain't gonna be shy about talking about it. What? You're telling me <laughs> Supper Shredder would shoot on the convention that he went to? Uh, if they treated him, if they treated him well, he's gonna let you know. If they treated him poorly, he's really gonna let you know. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so if you're in the uh, greater Louisiana Lafayette area, I, I would highly recommend checking out this convention. And uh, like I said, I don't know, uh, you know, go go say hi to Big Kev. Go go say hi to Mick. Uh, let him know that you enjoyed his uh, recent YouTube video with a shout out to Vin Gerard in it. Oh, I know that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you that one off the air. Oh, okay. I might have to uh, send you something to clear that up. Right. All I know is Vin Gerard. I'll say the man who introduced me to the legendary Wid, so he'll always be okay in my book. He's always okay with all of us. Right. Uh, so hey, the uh, the link to the convention is going to be in the show notes that accompany this episode, along with information about the soon to be named network at soon to be named network dot com, soon to be named network dot dot com. Anytime any of the shows go live or any of the folks from those shows go on other shows and they let me know they went on those other shows, you could find the information over at soon to be named network dot com. Such shows as this show, Longbox Heroes After Dark, At Odds with Wrestling, We Need Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Wings on Wings, Hit My Music, uh, DeWiki still gets a shout out, uh, No Chance in Helmet, uh, I never got my XFL episode, but you guys still get a shout out, <laughs> and of course, Porch Talk. Uh, hasn't been a Porch uh, a porchy episode in a long time, but I think uh, that's that's a weather permitting show, you know. Right. There's. I don't know if there's been any sports talk offshoots or any of that other stuff. So that I don't know either. Right. And there's also about. a porches episode every once in a while. Right. A weekly porches episode. Sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um. So uh, also be sure to check out uh, our good friend uh, Mike Sterling, his blog over at progressiveruin.com. Uh, go check out our friend Kevin's blog at mastlibrary.com. Uh, go check out Rick Williams, the chop shop at freekaratechops.storeenvy.com. Uh, longtime listeners of the show, Chris Runt and Jason Sandberg, respectively, have self-published comic books, Battle Monsters and Jupiter. You can find out information about those books there. Uh, you can also go check out our friend Davey of the band Cave People, who has his own self-published comic, Keeper, out. And you can right. purchase that as well. Uh, and we are less than uh, 12 hours as of this recording away uh, from our good friend Becky, the Kickstarter that she's involved with uh, for the book Galarian Short and Deadly. She has a pinup in there, and I understand that she's going to be getting copies uh, of the book herself to do with what she sees fit. Uh, hopefully that is sign them and sell them and parlay them into finally getting a portfolio out uh, of her stuff. You can go check out her social media, which is linked up in the show notes here as well, uh, to 
you know, see all the stuff that she's done. And last but not least, of course, um, if you do not have a comic book shop in your area or you do not have a good comic book shop in your area, let our comic book shop be your comic book shop. Comics on the Green. Go check them out. Uh, their social media, Facebook is linked up. Dave and the crew will let you know when the new books are in, if the new books are late, what the road conditions are like, if you're coming to pick up your books. And hey, if you can't come pick up your books, sign up for their mail order subscription service. Get your books mailed to you weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly, and you might even get a sketch from the aforementioned Becky on your package. And uh, yeah, I think that covers that section of the plugs, right? Yep, you nailed them all. I think I got them all. Let's get into what we read from this past week then, Todd. I'll let you begin. I'm going to start with the book I was looking forward to most, and it was uh, Joe's, you know, layup pick for 12 months, it seems like. Um, And that's Human Target number 12, written by Tom King, art by Greg Smallwood. Um, And this is the final chapter. Um, Basically, since, you know... uh, the human target he's been poisoned uh when he was pretending to be lex luthor and all the people we found out like or who were involved and this book at the end actually took a like i had how do i want to put this did not have any idea where this book was going because i figured this issue would have been all about like chance's last day but it wasn't it was all about what ice does after chances last day and how it goes like as we as we were going it was like day one day two day three of the since he's been poisoned and now we're like we're hitting like uh day 78 kind of a deal and in, in certain interests and it's like her talking with luigi on day 16 who uh you know was uh chance's friend and how you know uh as this book goes on like with this character and other characters it's like not only was chance lying about who they are most people are lying because like he's even talking like he's like I- i'm not really like you know i i Ita- like have the italian accent and all that stuff and ice isn't who she is and as she goes on she's like talking with fire and they're discussing what they're going to do are they in the clear for like everything that's happened and uh she's like discussing like what kind of hero have i been through all this and we find out that uh, Chance left Ice a bottle of of something, and uh, you know Martian Manhunter's kind of like, oh, we did we ever really resolve the the thing? I don't think we resolved the murder of Chance and Ice. Basically, in an unlike Ice like uh, way, kind of like diverts Martian Manhunter. Um, we have like a run in with Guy, uh, which would have been a great. Uh, uh, homage to Chance. He would have loved what Ice kind of did with that. I don't want to give too much away. And then finally, uh, we get we do a flashback to Chance's last day with Ice and what he asks of her. And all the pieces kind of dovetail in to like the last panel, which is a great shot, by the way, because oh, there's been a lot of facial expressions that uh, Greg Smallwood has done with Ice. That's one of my favorites. Um, slightly different than some of the ones he's done before, but um, because it was so different, I don't. I'm not, I, I wouldn't say I dislike the ending. It completely took me by surprise. So I was like way off where I thought this was gonna book was gonna go. But in the end, uh, I liked everything about this book. I did too. Um, I'll say this. 
I love the last issue. I did not love the ending. Um, only because it feels a little, and again, I don't want to do too spoilery, right? Because I right. feel as though this is a book that people are definitely going to pick up in trade and hardcover and everything else after that. And we've kind of talked about this quite a bit over the time that we've been, you know, the year plus that it's taken for this this book to come out, right? Right. Um, so it, it, it's very clear as to what Chance wanted Ice to do with that bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a little ambiguous the way that the book ends. In kind of a... I think she did, but is this going to work? This time. Right. But we also thought what she was going to do with the bottle was maybe herself kind of a thing. Sure, sure. There's like a whole bunch of ways it could go, but I'm I'm with you. And it is really out of character, all this stuff for Ice, but it's explained in the book that after she died, she was completely changed and she was able to unleash it. So I don't know. It's very noiry all around. So I, I'm I'm okay with it. My favorite bit in this issue specifically was Ice and Martian Manhunter. Right. Having their little bit of an interaction. Um, and the way that she kind of, and again, it spoils a little bit, but kind of um, puts John in his place, let's say, right? Nudges him in the direction she wants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And And again, just another small nitpick. Please correct me if I'm wrong. I know they were on the um, original um, spoiler image for this. We never got Captain Adam. We never got Black Canary in this. Right, but that was just a picture of the JLI people that were on the team at the time. For sure. So as it went on, we ran through the people, and as we did, it led to where we wanted to go. So of the mind, he didn't have to interview any other people, if that makes any sense. So they didn't show up, but... I don't know, I'm defending the book. But. I would have liked everyone to show up, you know? I would have, but then it would have had been 14 issues. You know, the one thing that I really, really like that's such a small nod, um, and it won't be much of a spoiler, so I'm going to talk about it, is remember how the back ish, uh, half of the, uh, the back cover of the issue was all stuff that happened, like, at one point, Rocket Red's tranquilizer dart that missed was in the calendar and everything? Um, on the back of this issue is all of that, but covered in ice so like ice lost her cool pun intended and like blasted everything in the in the in the room after she found chance's body and froze it solid because she was so like upset and i really somebody wrote and i won't take credit for it they said doing everything they did with the back of this issue the back cover is using the whole book like when you could use the whole book i love that kind of uh detail you know what i mean for sure it was still good. It's still highly recommended. Um, but I think this does more to lend to, I guess, the um, reputation that Tom King has that he maybe uh, can't land that ending like some other writers can. Right, right. Yeah. That's all. I gotcha. I'm never going to badmouth Justice League Internationals. So no, listen, I, I get you. I do, you know? Right. Uh, so let's get to the book that I was most looking forward to coming out this week, uh, which was I Hate This Place number six, uh, written by Kyle Starks with art by Artyom Toplin, 
Uh, this is the continuation of the miniseries. Kyle, like I said, was nice enough to be on the show last year to promote this. Uh, it was a five-issue miniseries, a bit of a break, and now we're picking back up from here. Um, Trudy and Gabby are still in the house. Uh, the woods are still haunted. They still have people helping them with the farm. And uh, those people are having a tough time get accustomed to things, how things are. Um, but this issue is about Trudy's family and specifically her father uh, coming to find her. And, you know, obviously there's no specifics given, but very obviously that this is some sort of religious cult that she was in and escaped from. And now the father and his goons have found her, and they're leaving quite a swath of horror in their wake as they come upon Trudy and Gabby in the house. And wouldn't you know it, this issue ends. And again, I don't I feel this we could say this without it being too too spoilery. They show up at the house just as it's hitting nightfall, and all the ghoulish stuff is coming out of the woods. Yep. Um I think this is a good jumping on point. You know, we had the cliffhanger from issue five. We're being let back in. They give you just enough information to let you know the cliff notes, um, the less than seven sentences, if you will, um, catch up on the previous five issues. And while what's going on in the woods around the house and the house itself is always a looming threat. Now we have this other definitive real world threat that is descended upon uh, Trudy and Gabby. Right. The evil's in the house, too, now. Right, right. In a different way. I will say, when the father, and this isn't too spoiler, makes his, like, immediately the, the writer and the artist make you hate everything about the father. There's no spoiler there. But when um, Trudy's father, like, comes to the house, just you hate him. Like, the, like the visceral hate you have for the stuff he does, has done in the first few seconds at the house i was taken aback with like how how much just like it like hit me like a brick when i saw it and i'm like i i really really think like i i love this book and i'm with you yes this is a great you know this is a good jumping on point but uh i highly recommend going back and get the trade too so you can get everything but uh this is a great kyle starks book i will say you know because we're going to jump over to the other one um of the two one in one A, but this I I prefer where monsters lie like more than I did this this issue like by a smidge you know okay. one one A like I said well I'll let you take a point on that then how about that yeah so basically uh, where monsters lie is a gated community for all the uh, the killers and they're basically archetypes for all the ones you know whether it be Jason whether it be the clown from House of a Thousand Corpses doesn't matter <clears throat> the puzzle master which would be like from Saw so last issue somebody that uh, you're not supposed to kill in the gate but one of them screws up and does and the kid gets away and he goes to this cop and the cop ends up, you know, it's like interviewing the kid and he gets all the information he needs. And I'm not sure whether the, the cop is super competent or super incompetent because we end up finding out how his like past relates 
to the like the things in this ho- in this gated community, and he basically goes and takes the kid to the thing, and the kid's like, "Why are you taking me back? I'm telling you everything you need to know. Like you're just gonna get me killed." And he ends up telling all the cops to do all the things that you're supposed to do when you're in a slasher movie. Don't split up. Don't do this. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's all gonna go bad, and. Every moment in this, I love the, this is the most like of the two, like the Kyle Starkiest. Um, I love like some of the dialogue and some of the, the, the lines. It has the, the, the big line energy, if you will, that I love. And like I said, we get to see the cops origin story. I think there's going to be more to it. I think he's going to be involved with everybody who's at this gay community some way, somehow as it goes on. But as someone who's not a horror movie fan, I love this book, Joe. This could get me to know, I don't know, watch a movie like Pieces, but I highly oh. doubt it, Joe. I highly doubt it. I did see Audition, but that's a whole other story. So that's, uh, listen, that's, yeah, that's a whole different kettle of fish. Right. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I kind of mentioned, um, you know, when we talked about the first issue, how the solicitation kind of spoils the information about Connor Hayes, who's the special agent who kind of comes in and takes over once he finds out where the gated community for the serial killers are, right? Um, and then he, you know, we get his origin that he was like the survivor of a, like two or three different instances with these types of folks. And then we also, and like he's like, okay, this is where it is. I'm rounding up the local police force. They're going with us, and I don't think that he's incompetent, okay? I think he is very competent. The problem is, once he finally has his eyes on the prize of the thing that he's been looking for for some 20-plus years, he takes in a bunch of people that are incompetent but are not ready to handle what horrors lie on the other side of that gate. Right. And Would you say what monsters bunch, lie? Where monsters lie, but he sends a whole bunch of people to their grisly death because he has very much tunnel vision of this is his white whale. This is the thing that I've been looking for for all this time. And I don't think he's like, well, there's going to be sacrifices, so these people are going down. It's just like, that can't happen. This is the thing that I've been looking for for the last however many years. These guys will all be fine. They're just as prepared as I am, right? Right. And it turns and then, out they're not, Todd. Right. And he tells them. He's like, hey, you know, like, don't do these things. And they don't take it to heart the way he kind of does, you know? So, but great book. Yes, definitely a really fun book. Uh, there's another miniseries. Um, very graphic, very, you know, horrific. And there's a little bit of, how can I say this? So, obviously... Um, I hate this place is more over the top as there's monsters and ghosts and all sorts of like mythical things that happen. And outside of like one thing with the ventriloquist doll, um, this is all more or less stuff that's like real world violence, let's say, you know? Right. Um, they do throw in a little bit of a mystical element, I think, um, with the old woman who's like the caretaker of the gated community. But it's just stuff that's alluded to and not anything that's kind of put on the nose just yet. Um, maybe it is what she says, that it's just clean living. Uh, right. But maybe it's not. Right. Uh, but yeah, definitely both these books are really good. And obviously we are very biased because, um, you know, we've been reading Kyle stuff and enjoying Kyle stuff for many, many years. 
And, you know, we, we love to see someone that we know um, and have known and have supported for a long time uh, continue to put out this sort of work and have it pay off. Because we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that he has a gig at DC doing the Peacemaker book, you know? Right. And in no way will probably be our most look forward to book in a few months. So, yeah, that's that's going to be a gimme uh, in like two months, you know? Right. I want to see it go up against Saga for you, though. <laughs> I don't know that much yet. I haven't looked that far uh, ahead because uh, schedules change when it that comes to that sort of thing. Maybe Saga will be in an off week or two or an mm-hmm. off month or what have you. But Saga is typically the last week of the month. That's kind of like always like clockwork, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we read from this past week. Uh, let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out next week. Uh, or actually, uh, that's what we learned last week, this week. Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, however it is you get your books, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. We're currently tied up at eight correct guesses apiece. So yes, uh, let's see where we're going, Todd. Right. What's the gimmick, Joe? Is that a W re- word related book? Uh, it is a uh, wrestling related book. That is correct. Uh, it is coming out from uh, Ahoy Publishing. We actually talked about the solicitation and the so forth about it. It is written by um friend of Jimmy Palmiotti and Frank Thierry comic book writer in her own right joanne star right okay yes now i remember okay i knew i would say something to kind of spark that reminder in your head (laughs) you yeah definitely a panel kind of person but uh i'm gonna go is the book you're looking forward to most the gimmick number one it's not oh it's john john kent adventures of it is adventures of john kent just like i think that's the book you're most looking forward to coming out this week as well it is um gimmick was close um but i think you know obviously uh we've really been enjoying tom taylor's stuff um and the fact that one this is crossing over with his previous injustice for all stuff Mm -hmm. Eh, okay i've never read it but this could be a nice introduction to this sort of stuff for me but the fact that there's been so much of the tease on this book that somehow john is going to get the electric superman powers right spoilers it's only on the cover but It's only been it's only on the cover and it's only been in the ads for the last two months. Right, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, the one-two punch of Tom Taylor and Electric Superman uh, sells this book for me. Um, we'll talk about the gimmick next week if you'd like. Um, you know, I know you're a big fan of always bringing a, somehow trying to shoehorn wrestling talk into the show. So, oh, that's my goal every week. So. Uh, so, hey, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that we have going on over there, uh, whether it be our store where you could purchase shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them. Uh, if you want even more fancy designs inspired by this show, After Dark, uh, uh, At Odds with Wrestling, Final Wrestling Plays, Hit My Music, amongst others, you can head over to our Tee Public store. Uh, the 35% sale is ongoing as we speak. And uh, you can get uh, those logos and designs and everything from cell phone covers to notebooks to throw pillows. And they're not big enough to be in the tapestries, so I had to take them out of the uh, things that you could get. 
But by all means, definitely check that out as well if you want to support the show. You can also support the show by making any and all of your eBay purchases through our affiliate link. Uh, it'll be in the show notes to every single one of these episodes. And a lot of times the books and stuff that we talk about, uh, you know, we'll have linked up through the eBay affiliate link so you can get stuff that way. Um, does not cost you anything extra. doesn't take any money out of the seller's pocket. It takes it out of whatever eBay's VIG is, and that VIG seems to be getting bigger and bigger every day. Um, and like I said, it... Uh, I forget how I can't work this in of like how I used to do with the Amazon thing where I could say that, you know, t- at the end of the month where Todd gets his cut of the money. Yeah, but I just did. Um, you could also support us by signing up for the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash longbox heroes dollar a month. Five dollars a month is going to get you the full scans of the preview catalogs that we talk about on previewing the past, which is one of the two bonus shows that you can get over on our Patreon, where we look at 30 years ago this month's previews catalog. And like I said, those full scans, high quality, expertly done, except for the last 30 pages or so. Um, Hopefully that'll change once it gets to the summer months. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, the comic book oddities are a movie topic for this year. Um, We've already done the David Hasselhoff Nick Fury movie, the Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie. This month, we'll be tackling the 1978 made-for-TV movie Doctor Strange. At $5, you're going to get these two bonus shows two weeks before everyone else, and you're also going to get After Dark two days before everyone else, so you can listen to these shows in the correct listening order. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? We not only had one art attack, but we had two art attacks from the same person, who's awesome, by the way. Um, It was Mayan. Um, I received two commissions this week, one of Jonah Hex and the other of Tallulah Black, both by Phil Noto. Um, Like I said, I really wanted to get the Tallulah because Noto created her along with Palmiati and Gray on that uh, award-winning uh, Jonah Hex book. Um, and I, when, it, when I was getting that, he was, I was like, ah. when I contacted him, I'm like, I want to get a Tallulah Black. He got back to me, and I was like, but I want to get also a Jonah Hex. I said, but if you can't do both, I, I want the Tallulah first. He's like, no, no, I can do both of them for you if that's really what you want. And I said, yeah. And I absolutely, like, he crushed how they turned out. Um, the paper, it, like, the paper is so thick, it's ridiculous. It's on tone paper. Like, if I, like, grabbed it and, like, shook it, it would make that that wobble, like, cardboard sound. It's it's so thick and it looks really good. And as I wrote in the uh, in the in the second tweet, these are going to make great additions to my Hall of Hex art exhibit, Joe. Oh, as we boy. were talking about how much I love wordplay, so. Uh. But these are beautiful. Um, I can't imagine what they look like in person because the scans that you put up of them mm-hmm. are amazing. Um, it's the little details. Um, Phil Noto, not one much for drawing ugly characters, um, you know, so obviously Tallulah and Jonah, two people who are hideously disfigured, um, does not shine through so much on these, mm-hmm. but that's the only nitpick I would have, but that's not Phil Noto's style. Um, the shading on these is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Joan from Jonah's coat to like the circle that is around Jonah where the shading goes around the moon. The way that blends into the haze that's around the moon behind Jonah. And then again, of course, with Tallulah, of course, her background is almost like, 
you know, a, a ripped up piece of paper like it would be like a wanted poster, kind of. Right. Um, you know, the obviously the guns and the detail, uh, the detailing on the clothing on both is just spectacular. He knows his stuff, man. Yeah. Like, and all of this, like, because it's a, I can't think of, like, the exact word. It's um, uh, a gray wash, kind of. It's a grayscale is what he called it. Because I, I asked him. He's like, it's a grayscale marker and ink. So when he does it, it's, the colors are only white to to black with gray. Like, there's no, like, red or blues. So everything he does is either with white black or some combination of the two going through like a like no colors black and white and i'm like he makes it work where i think i'm looking at a like a like a, a sepia tone color piece but there's no color like the blue jean like the gray on the pants are like a black go, go to blackish on jonah hex and all that stuff he occasionally like if he did uh Black Widow in this style. He would give her red hair. Um, he'll use a red uh, cop Copic marker, Copic marker, or whatever you say. But for the most part, that's the stuff he uses. And the fact that he gets the texture that he does with just that is absolutely ridiculous. And with these two, these I wanted so bad. Joe, I could talk for these about these for an hour, but I won't. I wanted these so bad. I have one more piece to get for my Jonah Hex collection. And then the breaks will be put on art for a while. I think, I think I'm going to take a long break if that happens. So for sure. Uh, but thank you, of course, Todd, anytime that you get these things for sharing them with us. Uh, and if you've recently got a commission or you're headed to a convention and you got something done, you picked up a print or you yourself are a burgeoning artist by all means, please share that with us and be sure to tag Todd's art attack on it so that we can uh, share your work commission um original art uh old-timey pages whatever have are do they still bring pages to conventions and stuff can you still get pages you can you can but the uh the artwork has become a little bit more expensive since the pandemic so. mm, i can imagine i can imagine uh, so, yes, thank you very much for all of that. And uh, now uh, it is time for our patient to get up on the table because Todd uh, and I, uh, I'm the assistant, will be uh, <laughs> conducting our Todd topsy in Todd and Joe Have Issues as we will be discussing uh, the next two issues in our Sandman Neil Gaiman read through uh, issues 19 and 20. Of Brief Lives, which does close out this current trade, if you're reading them that way, if you're reading the single issues, if you're reading them digitally, uh, Todd has done a, um, a yeoman's job of compiling this list, um, and we do put it up in the Todd and Joe have issues post that goes up every Thursday. Um, if you want the full itemized individual list, of course, just shoot me a message, and I'll be glad to share that with you. Um, but Todd, I will turn things over to you from here. Right. And I will just say this is the end of the dream country story. Dream country. My apologies. Thank right. you for correcting me. No problem. Brief lives is later. Um, so this is, we're going on to issue 19, which is a Midsummer's night dream written by Neil Gaiman with a, additional material taken from the play, uh, by William Shakespeare and art by Charles Vess. Um, 
This takes place in the summer of 19 or 1593 and William Shakespeare and his son are traveling, you know, the countryside with their, with the troop that William has done. And he's saying like, we're going to, you know, put on the show and everybody's like, well, where we're in the middle of a countryside. He's like, just like over the next kind of Ridge. And they're like, Oh, I think, you know, I kind of see the person who it is. And it's, Sandman. It's Morpheus. He's standing there, you know, dressed in his best regalia for the time. Um, and he comes to see Shakespeare and asks him if it's if it's ready. Um, and he's like, Yes, yes, it is. The first of the two plays that he kind of when we saw him in the hobgolding issue, uh, that he kind of made the deal with them, and we get we get that. And I do like the joke where he's like, um, he's like, uh, uh, we're here on your command, Lord. And this is an odd choice to perform. And Morpheus is like, odd. Uh, this mound was a theater before your race came to this island. And Shakespeare's like, before the Normans? And in like the one few, like in, in a gag from Morpheus, even way before, he's like, no, before the humans. And you could see like the mirth. And like, this is the closest we're going to get to Morpheus telling a joke. Um, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and that's kind of cool. So he ends up telling the troop, like, we're going to, we're going to put it on in front of, you know, uh, in front of these people. He's the one who kind of commissioned the play. Um, and Morpheus is like, okay. And he opens up the door to fairy and he brings out the fairy folk, the king and queen Tidiana, And then somebody else, I, I, I forget the name, all of them. But as we go on, these are all the characters that are throughout, um, a Midsummer Night's Dream, like I can't think, a uh, Robin Goodfellow, and and all of them. And as it's going on, the people start to realize who's in the crowd, and uh, that's kind of interesting because like Shakespeare has his moment where he's like horrified a bit, and then he's like sweating. But like once the play kind of starts, um, it, you know, it kind of, kind of goes, kind of goes well. And most of the play, it's just the play. Like there are bits like in between the dialogue of like Sandman that are important to the 75 issues. And then there's the stuff that's important to how it mirrors the play mirrors, the characters. I'm going to say this now that's way above mine and Joe's pay grade. <laughs> so like, we're just going to discuss what moves the story along because, uh, um, you know, I, I'm just like, they try, they're like the dumber fairy folk and the fairy folk are like, Oh, what's this? Who is this? And it's kind of tried to be explained through them. And because I never read the play, it's still, you know, over my, my head. Um, and, and like Morpheus and the queen are talking and he ends up saying like, Oh, I, I, I think you're leaving. Um, you're leaving this realm. And she's like, yeah, we kind of are. Um, and he's like, oh, so basically he had this play commissioned for them because if they're leaving the countryside or they're leaving this realm, he doesn't want them to be forgotten. And as he's talking about the deal he makes with Shakespeare, I find it easy. I find it like he was so, so like wanted to do this that uh, he wanted to have his plays ring out through the centuries that uh, he was easy to like talk to, to have do this. And he goes, but, and I like this kind of line. I, I, I kind of lost it, but I'm looking for it where he's like the, the 
the curse that it is to get what you want is to not want it anymore. And I thought that was like so brilliant um, kind of a deal. But, and also the subplot is the relationship between Shakespeare and his son, Hamnet, who, you know, goes on, like, there's a great line where he's like, my father really doesn't talk to me. I came on this summer adventure to, 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 to do this. We'll be closer. But sometimes I just feel like if I died, he would write a play about it. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cold. You know what I mean? So, uh, Sandman just demanded an intermission during the middle of the play so he could discuss. And I do like um, where he starts talking to him and he's like, so far the first half of the play is crafted very well. Um, and he's like, oh, thank you, uh, Morpheus. He's like, uh, the, it's the best play I've, I've ever written. And this Kit Marlowe is going to, you know, I hope he, he likes it too. And that was the guy that he, that Shakespeare was talking to with the broken leg back in the hobgolding issue. And Sandman, you know, this is pre, you know, learning anything, Sandman. He's like, Oh, you haven't heard he's dead, but he was killed, stabbed in the head. And I like the way it affects it. It's human. Shakespeare's like, what, why would you tell me this now in the middle of the play? Like why, he was my friend and I like that Sandman can't fathom it. It's like, I did not realize it would hurt, hurt you so much. And he's kind of like dark strangers. Like, you know, you didn't realize I already half regret our bargain. And it's like, but he doesn't because he wants that other half. He wants to be remembered for all eternity. There's some stuff going on with like uh, his son talking to the queen of fairies where there's like offering of fruit and like this is all stuff that somebody tried to explain to me once that never take anything from fairy folk. So this is a bad omen like or something bad will happen. And if Shakespeare had been watching his kid or paying any attention to him, maybe, you know, bad things wouldn't come from from it. And uh, like I said, we find out that the play is, you know, for them, uh, uh, the one uh, hobgoblin, Robin Goodfellow, he ends up, st- he lo- he's so infatuated with seeing his self on stage that he steals the costume and knocks out the person um, that is uh, playing him so he can go up on stage and do it. The the uh, actors are like, oh, we're not getting paid for this. They ask the fairy king for money, so he gives them a full, like, a thing of gold, a pouch of gold. And he's like, here, here you go, which you should never take. Once again, take things from fairy folk. Um, when the play's over, the people decide the fairy folk are like, this is where we're leaving from this world. Except for Robin Goodfellow. He decides to stay on. And he's Unbeknownst like, Unbeknownst to the rest of them. Right. Um, doesn't he tell, doesn't he tell, uh, the King, he's like, come with me. And he's like, nah, I'm kind of going to stay. Because, yeah, he says, what, me leave my lord when the mortals are, you know, I can vex them and stuff like that. So he he does let the king know that he's staying. Um, they all wake up in the morning um, and the gold has turned into daffodils or flowers. Um, and they're like, OK, we have to go on to the next town um, in the show to do the show. Then they say Hamnet Shakespeare died um, at age 11 a few years later. And Robin Goodfellow, the Hobgoblin's present whereabouts are unknown. Um, If you really want a great breakdown 
of this issue way better than I can do. Um, as I said, there's a Sandman compendium uh, companion that where every other issue gets about two pages. Neil goes on with the interviewer, like a 12 page interview about this story, because this is the most like uh, award winning story from the run. And people look at it that way. And I think me and you kind of have the same opinion on this show. Yeah, so as Todd mentioned, it's uh, listen, Todd and I are not some high thinking, you know, whatever. We do a co- you know, podcast about comic books and I do a podcast about wrestling, right? Mm-hmm. Not to say that I can't appreciate what goes on in this, but I would never call myself a Shakespeare scholar, a Shakespeare understander, or a Shakespeare wanting to be understander, right? I know mm-hmm. the the br- the broad strokes of Shakespeare, right? Right. Um. The I the I uh was the uh Ibantic Panther. Uh, what was it? Iambic Tameter. I I don't know how to say it either. Like right. we're so, so I don't know how, I don't know how to say it. Right. But it's not like this is not lost on me because they do a good job of explaining it to folks like myself and Todd. But if you are a Shakespeare person and you are a well-read person, a literary person, then all of this stuff speaks volumes. Uh, to you whereas like someone like me there's the bit where uh robin goodfellow the puck uh sees the play going on and he has the line this is magnificent and it's true it never happened yet it is still true what magic art is this well it's the magic of storytelling todd Mm -hmm. yep you know it's stuff like that um you had mentioned the thing with the fairy queen wanting to meet Nobody in the play, but wanting to meet Will Shakespeare's son, Hamnet, right? And, of course, you get into all the stuff about not to accept things from fairy folk or whatever it is, right? And Shakespeare himself is not kind of uh, taken aback with that, you know, uh, taking notice of his son, especially while the play is going up. We do get the bits in here in regards to some of the other... And, again, when we say fairy folk, we don't mean everyone looks like Tinkerbell, right? Right. These are all sorts of like otherworldly like creatures. You know, there's a bit in the play where the woman takes a potion and she wakes up and falls in love with the first thing that she sees. And it just so happens that it's a guy with a horse's head or a donkey's head. Well, one of the fairy folk has a donkey's head or a horse's head and everyone's laughing at that moment of the play and they're kind of offended. Right. Uh, as to why people would be laughing. So we get stuff like that in here. But the one thing that I want to point out, Todd, and kind of kind of address, and I, I do remember from the Sandman uh, compendium companion, the interview with Neil, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bit where early on in the play, and uh, the Queen of the Fairies and Morpheus are talking, and she mentions, it seems to me that I heard this tale sung once in old Greece by a boy with a lie. That's someone we're going to meet shortly. Yep. And Morpheus <laughs> waves it off, man. Morpheus. And that's the thing. He says, indeed, my lady. And she says, you are a deep one. I would, I could fathom your motives later. Lady watch the play Sandman very much in his own way at this time, Brushing this off. Now, please correct me if I'm wrong, Todd. Is Do we not learn later that the Queen of the Fairies and Morpheus had an affair? 
No, we don't learn that. Um, okay. But Neil said in that companion that it is heavily implied that they have had okay first of all in in the world of the legend of fairy the queen is known to um some people call it jogging i call it running around on her husband (laughs) you know what i mean fair enough so um she's been known to do that in the play and, and and other stuff so um they he's like i wanted to imply that but it's never said that they were lovers more as they may be hooked up. You know what I mean? Because um, if I'm correct, they say how many, like, and it's going to be next issue, up to this point, how many lovers Sandman has ever taken, and then maybe we get another one down the line. I don't want to do too many spoilers. So, But she's never mentioned as one of them. But Neil says, yes, the way they banter, um, Morpheus would never allow someone to talk to him like that if it wasn't, you know, if there wasn't um, more to their relationship. Right. You get what I mean? So, yes. Uh, So that's really all I got on this issue. Right. I will say one last thing. Um, I had a friend in high school who was not she was not big on comics, but God bless her. She read she loved Shakespeare. She loved, she read Shakespeare for fun, which I respected the heck out of. You know what I mean? And I got her to read Sandman. And she sat down and tried to explain it. But she she loved this issue. Loved, loved, loved it. So, you know, maybe I'll go take that class in Shakespeare someday to appreciate it. But I will say an issue I maybe appreciated a little more was uh, Facade, which was issue 20. Of Sandman, written by obviously everyone is written by Neil Gaiman. Um, beautiful art, and this was a Mandela effect to me. Art by uh, Colleen Duran. I either thought in my head all these years it was either uh, Chris Piccolo doing that style, like we had a few issues, or it was the last Dridgenberg issue um, because it kind of looks like their stuff. Probably once again because it's inked by Malcolm uh, Jones the third, but uh, beautiful stuff by Colleen Durant. Love all the art. Um, so the issue takes place in the here and now, kind of of the book, um, and somebody's like lighting up smokes and uh, telling t- telling the reader kind of like through thought is like oh, uh, kind of they wish they were dead and they're putting a cigarette out in this like mask like thing. Um, and they're they're just very lonely. That's the one thing that you get from no matter what of this story. And they're like, oh, it's you know a certain time. Mulligan must be in. And we start to reveal through the shade, like being moved away in light, that it's Elemental Girl, Element Girl, who's like a female metamorpho from DC Comics, and she ends up talking to this guy because she was a agent for the cia and he's her handler for checks and any problems that she has because she can't be an agent anymore because of the way she looks so he's talking to her and she's he's the only friend that she kind of has and it's very very sad the way she like talks and he's like um you know the check should be going through and blah 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 but in the end she like asks him what do you look like 
And he's like, oh, just like the random, like he's normal, like completely normal, like thing. And she's like, you know what I look like? It's like, yeah, you were cute before. And we see through pictures what she looked like um, before she was changed and she was gorgeous. And she ends up, he's like, I can't really talk kind of a deal. We'll process it. I'll talk. uh, She's like, okay, I'll talk to you next week. And he's like, okay, bye, Rain. And this is like the part of the sadness where she's she's overthinking it. Not that I would know anything what that's like, where she's like, oh, I, I called him before lunch. If I had called him after lunch, he would have talked to me. He might have had more time and just so like, just so it's like, I wonder what he looks like. And he's kind of thinking, she's like, all I have is, is this. I have my house and Mulligan's all the, all that's, that I have is left in the company. Nobody ever calls me. Nobody cares anymore. And the phone rings and she loses it. Like, She's like, oh, she's genuinely scared by the phone ringing. She's like, it's just a telephone. Even though she's lonely, like this is new to her. She ends up calling it and uh, somebody's there. It's like, oh, uh, it's Della. Who's this? You know, Rain. And she's looking for Rain. She's like, she was somebody from the agency who ended up knowing her years ago. And she went through her friend uh, who was actually a character called Triangle and got the uh, information. They're like, let's go do lunch. I need to to talk to you and it's like okay and you're like i'll be there and she ends up deciding she has this dream which is you know it's sandman kind of the, her origin which is you know she's like this she's remembering it but it's not the way that she kind of remembered it um and she's you know kind of laying down in her dreams that everything uh she wishes she wasn't this way kind of a deal the next morning she wakes up and she's like well it's time to go out Here's how I do my trick to go out. And it's like, okay, I tried to make flesh once. That was a bad idea. It, I, I couldn't get rid of the smell for weeks. Silicate faces are better. Um, they fall off after a while, but at least they don't rot. And then she ends up like saying faking hair is easy. Uh, I just kind of use metals as long as nobody touches it. Uh, I'm fine. And uh, nobody ever does. Um, everything else you could just cover up. And she covers herself from head to toe from, you know, coat, boots, gloves. She ends up going to meet her friend Della. I, this, I just want to interrupt there. That scene of her putting herself together mm-hmm. and explaining what she does and how she does it to leave the house. Mm-hmm. That one page is one of the most powerful pages that we've come to. Um, like, you could just give this one page completely out of context of what this is from who this character is what this story is and i think it would have that same emotional punch whatever your knowledge of this character is or what you've read before this or what you're going to read after this because it all culminates as she goes through all of this and she says okay rainy time to face the world i feel sick yep and You know, obviously, I think that's something that a lot of people can probably relate to uh, in many different facets of their life. But the fact that, you know, she's a superhero person and she has to go through all of this just to leave the house. 
Yeah, I don't think anybody, I, I think it's one of those things, like you said, that anybody can get behind. Like, I have to put my mask on to go out into the world. Go back to the human target that we talked about. Nobody's who they, they think they are. And this is harder for her, but everybody can relate that I have to put my face on to go out in the world. And I think you nailed it. And the fact that whether Neil or Colleen did it, the fact that she puts the picture in front of the mirror so she can match it up. Mm-hmm. Is, it's everything about that scene. I'm 100% with you to the point of all the masks, the, the false faces that are, that are on the wall or on the floor throughout the house. You know what I mean? Right. So it it's fantastic. And I like, they go um, to the thing and she's like, Oh, I'm not going to take off my gloves because I have uh, uh, a skin disease. You read it in my file. Cause obviously not everybody knows it. And Dell is basically discussing, um, that she's pregnant and she's with this guy who's in the company too. Um, but they, they, you know, he's still married, but don't worry. She's He's going to leave her and then, you know, we'll get together and we'll have, you know, uh, our baby. And Joe, I don't mean in life, I don't know how many times I've heard this conversation where, yeah, it's only a matter of time. Once he figures out the funds or he figures out this or they figure out that, they're going to leave their significant other and come for me, uh, come live with me. And I'm like, and we get to the heart of what I love about Sandman. And I don't know if I mentioned this before, if I did, sorry, but that no matter how wild this gets, whether it's Element Girl getting ready to talk to one of the endless or Sandman going to, 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 to hell to see his past lover that he scorned, the dialogue is the most relatable, realistic dialogue you're ever going to read. And that's, I think, one of the strengths. And she ends up like talking about her baby and then she's like oh and a bunch of people like who are deformed kind of a deal or have birth issues or something are walking by the restaurant and she ends up just basically saying like i'm worried what if one of my kids are a freak like that and you know element girl is like they're not freaks they're just people and she's like oh they make my skin crawl and I love this. It's kind of the way they did the shot for the Corinthian where you were seeing through his glasses. So you knew when he had them on or off, they were shading. And he, uh, Rain's talking to Della and the mask starts to slide off and it falls into her spaghetti. And there's that shot of her just looking back at Della with the mask off with her uh, metamorpho type face. Just, and she just snaps. And it's absolutely horrifying how bad I feel for her right now. And she gets home and she left her purse. So she uses her powers to burn the doorknob off. And she's like, I only have one friend, one friend and that's it. And it's like, it's manic at this point, Mulligan, he'll know what to do. He ends up calling Mulligan at the, uh, at the place that she calls and he's not there. He's been transferred. He's like, she's like, no, he has to be there. Um, He's like, please just tell him I called. Get him, have him get in touch with me. And she's like, um, okay. Is it, can anybody help you? Like, he's like, no. And she just hangs up. And she, re- this is when she realizes that she's wearing all the garb. And she does a great like bit where she like disperses because she turns to gas, and it falls on the ground. And she just sits down, dejected. And she's like, I think I'll kill myself. But how? 
and this is like when the story turns and in walks death, you know, of the endless. And she's like, do you want to talk about it? And they end up having, you know, a conversation and she offers death a cigarette. Um, and she's like, Oh, nice ashtray. He's like, no, it's my faces. You see, sometimes I have to look normal and I grow faces, but they dry up and they fall off. So I hang on to them. I'm not making much sense. She's like, Nope. You're making sense. People hold on to old identities, old faces and masks long after they've served their purpose. Uh, but you've got to learn to throw these things away eventually. Um, and like, she's like starting to have her breakdown. And I love that, you know, uh, uh, that death tries to console her by giving her a Kleenex. Um, but she's like, I, you're saying throw things away, but I want to die and I can't, I don't know how, um, she's like, I thought about doing it. I thought about, you know, doing it this way. You know, you can't stab yourself. That won't work. I uh, can't run, run a hose from the car because it's just another gas. I can change into every gas. Um, I'm a, I want to try a nuclear explosion, but what if I survive that? And I'm just irradiated for the rest of eternity. Nobody would ever want to talk to me after that kind of a deal. Then I thought about like dispersing my molecules into water, but then would I be alive and just disperse and um, death is like, Oh, you remember one of the other people who were like you, Algon? He's like, he died in a volcano. It's, it's only a matter of time. You know, you die slower, but you will. Um, and uh, it's going to happen. And she's like, well, how would you know this? It's like, you know who I am. Like, I think I do. You've come to make it all stop. And she's like, no, I haven't. I was just going to see a guy upstairs changing a light bulb when he slipped. Heard you crying. And uh, I kind of, you know, came down to see who you were. Um, and I'm there for everybody, whether they die, al- you know, die alone, the innocent, the guilty, um, you know, and she basically runs out that I'm death it, everywhere, anywhere throughout the universe, but I'm not your death. But like she says, not only am I everyone's death, I'm everywhere's death. Right. And she goes through this whole laundry list of things, as you mentioned, about people dying alone. She mentions a small village in West Africa. She mentions a far-off planet in distant galaxy that had crystals, that had a small intelligence, right? And she's just like, I'm in all of those places, but I'm also here with you right now. Right. And, and I, I think that's, like, such a great soliloquy that, like, if there's only the second time that we've seen death so far in the book and if we didn't get all of who she was in her first appearance we absolutely get it all here right third appearance but uh you get what i'm saying no, i'm with you I'm, i i'm i'm a stickler but my one of my favorite lines of all time is when the first living thing existed i was there waiting when the last living thing dies my job will be finished i will put the chairs on the tables turn out the lights and lock the universe behind me when i leave um now i will say this this whole tirade of what's going on here where she says i'm all deaths this is a an answer to Captain Adam 42, I think, where death makes an appearance alongside the Black Racer, who's the death for the new gods. And it was kind of like, oh, that's one version of death, and I'm another version of death. And Neil kind of got mad. He's like, no, when the Black Racer dies, 
she's going to be waiting for him. You know what I mean? So this is kind of his answer uh, to all that. So I kind of, I kind of always like that. So um, death's kind of like giving her the thing about uh, ancient Egypt. And she's like, listen, um, do you remember how it all started with the orb of Ra? He's like, he can help you. The sun God, all you have to kind of do. And she's like, well, I don't want to go to, uh, you know, the Middle East. He's like, no, sun god. Like, you guys are, you, you humans are slow. And she ends up looking out the window and she realizes that the sun god is still the sun god um, in the sun. And she basically asks, she she asks nicely because Death says, if you're going to ask gods, ask nicely. So she's like, please, I never wanted this. Um, uh, please, like, take it all away. And she's looking at the sun She's like, no, look at the sun. I can't look at the sun. I'm told I mustn't. And she's like, oh, okay, the sun. I've never realized before. The sun, it's a face. It's just a mask. And the face behind it is beautiful. And she ends up, you know, turning like to so- like something inert or whatever. And she ends up falling apart. And I like that Death's like, better luck next time, Rain. Um, and the phone rings. And Death picks it up. And it's Mulligan coming he's like uh, no i'm sorry i can't get a message message to her um sorry uh who am i i'm just a, a friend sometimes maybe sorry i couldn't help it any be seeing you which she sees everybody joe so i i mean anytime death shows up i'm enamored this is one of my favorite issues and you love her because she comes and she she's not that death everybody should be scared of as we talked about in issue eight and she helps she helps Element Girl, and I thought that was absolutely great. Right, and, and you had mentioned, of course, where not to say that Death is trying to get out of it, but it's definitely not her time, uh, Element Girl's time. But you had mentioned, of course, she says, this is what I get for getting involved, right? Right, yeah. So there's a bit of softness, there's a bit of humor, and as you were mentioning before, one of my favorite bits as she's talking about, like, you know, Raw, the sun god, and Element Girl's like, well, no, it's in Egypt. And death is like, yeah, that's right. He's seen better days. He still still keeps bringing the metamorphe into existence, even though the battle your kind fought finished ages ago. It's his never-ending battle against Apep, the serpent that never di- that never dies. Dumb. I told him, quote, the serpent that never dies is dead. I took her three thousand years ago. Like <laughs> that's such a great bit too. You know what I mean? Like right. all these characters and all these mythologies and all these whatevers. Like she's there to kind of be the voice of reason for so many things that are happening, not just in like this universe, but also like whatever the greater DC universe is as well. As you mentioned, the bit with the black racer and Neil has to come back and address that. Um, You know, we do get a death appearance many, many years later down the road uh, that she shows up in action comics, which was a big deal at the time. Um, Other Sandman characters appear in JLA, um, which is again, many, many years down the road, but this is such a great issue, you know? And I think, this would end up being one of, if not the last time, that this touches this sort of corner of the DC universe. Right. Um, I will say, I could definitely know of two more times it touches full on in the DC universe with like a moment, not like you know a whole story. Right. But those are two cool moments, and I'm you know I'll wait till we get there. Um, and the fact that he cho- like he chose um, Element Girl. Because one, probably it was going to be easier to kill her than anybody else. 
Like, because he even says in an interview, he's like, when Who's Who came out, the 26 issues and, like, the follow-ups, she never got uh, an entry in it. So he goes to Karen Berger and he's like, he's like, I need to kill somebody in this story. I need to, a character. He's like, can I kill Element Girl? And Karen goes, who's that? Was she in the Legion of Super? What, what, what are you talking about? And she's like, oh, well, let me go talk to the continuity cops kind of a deal. And she goes, and he's like, yeah, not a problem. And he's like, if I had asked for anybody else, like, I probably would have had to jump through hoops. But he also knew the character because he had read the Metamorpho comics that she was a part of years ago. So he's like, oh, that's, like, really, really cool. Um, and one other time that she appears in a mainstream comic after uh, – uh, Captain Adam is there's a issue of Legion of Superheroes where the Earth is destroyed in the thousands of years in the future, and uh, they're like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna blow up the planet, and they kind of like they never say that Neil gets the the say, but he was he had some some clout. He's like, could we use death just in a in a sh- like half her face in the moon or in a panel to establish that she's there to take all these lives. And it kind of was like, yes, if that's all you do, that's <laughs> you can do that. And then all the dialogue written because Paul Cornell wrote that action issue with death and Neil wrote all the dialogue mm-hmm. for death. That was the only way that that was going to fly too. <laughs> so, like he has a lot more clout than I think people give him credit for. You know what I mean? So it's but, good to be king. I it's guess. good to be the king. It's yeah. good to be the king. Now, next issue starts the seasons of Mist storyline, where the uh, Todd Topsy is going to be forty-five minute long for the first oh. issue. So, all right, buckle in, people. Yep. Uh, issues twenty-one and twenty-two. If you're reading the single issues digitally or what have you. Um, and yeah, again, I, I'm having such a good time rereading this. Even some of the stuff may not be for me with the Shakespeare stuff. Some of the stuff may be dour and depressing, like the element girl stuff. It just brings back so many memories of reading this stuff for the first time, uh, the second time sharing these stories with someone else. And that's a lot of what this is with Sandman because Sandman, as Todd mentioned before, a uh, girl he knew in high school, didn't care about comic books, but like Shakespeare, Todd got her to read this. You know, mm-hmm. Sandman is a book for the last 35 years of its existence is a book that is shared over and over and over again. And that's, you know, what this segment is. We're trying to share this story that is so uh, powerful. To, it's so powerful in general, so personal to Todd and myself. Um, you know, it's one of the things that we bonded over to become friends, you know, it was a a reading of these stories. Um, so yeah, hopefully you're enjoying us talking about it. Hopefully you're checking these out. Um, as I always say, whether it be the first time or multiple times like Todd and I have, I will say because of the fact that I know two people that we know are reading Sandman for the first time, that makes it all worth it for me. Just that I know that two people now will have read Sandman. I, I always joke around when we make some sort of dumb joke or some sort of reference or some whatever it is. Um, I go, if one person gets it, then, then it matters, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Sandman, there's two of us, so it has to be two. Right, and we managed to hook two people, so right. we're good. Um, so that's it for Todd and Joe of Issues. The last thing that we have to cover is the first episode of Season 3 of The Mandalorian. Yes. And Todd... 
um, nothing. So, uh, so hey, Mandalorian's back. Baby Yoda's back. His mama named him Baby Yoda. I'ma call him Baby Yoda. Right. Um, Mando, as we know him, I forget what his shoot name is. Right. He really wants to get back into the uh, the the click, the cult of the Mandalore. Right. Right. But the armorer says, "No, you can't. Uh, you took your helmet off of your own choice." So, you know, this is the way, this is the word. Um, now, I do want to mention they're doing like a little ceremony at the beginning of the episode yep. where they're indoctrinating a new young boy to be a Mandalorian. Right. I thought that was young Mando at the time. Right. No, I, I was like, I'm like, well, I didn't have it in my notes, but I had like a question mark. I'm like, it's like a flashback sequence or something. Right. Uh, it wasn't. His uh, ceremony gets interrupted by a giant uh, water dewback. Sure, um, why not? So he never gets to finish the whole thing. So I was thinking to myself, is this now a loophole that he gets to be the this kid gets to be the one Mandalorian uh, who gets to take his helmet off because he gets in, he gets his helmet. They never get a chance to finish the ceremony. Or is this going to be like a plot point at the end of the season where like it begins with this kid's ceremony and it's going to end with Mando going through the ceremony again and getting reindoctrinated back in. Right. Could be, and uh, that would be like poetry because it rhymes. Right. Uh, so uh, the armorer uh, tells Mando that uh, you know the only way that you could do this to get back in, um, if you purge yourself in the living waters in the mines of Mandal Mandalore, but Mandalore's been destroyed. Well, no, 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 Mando's got proof that it might not be destroyed and it might not be completely poisoned because while I have this piece of whatever crystallized whatever from Mandalore, the fact that someone was able to get there and bring it back means that, you know, maybe I can get there and get into the waters and bathe myself and then purify myself and then I can rejoin, right? And the armorer says, well, this is the way, so go ahead and do it. Uh, right. But it's not that easy. Right, I have a question. Did we ever see him get that piece of uh, stuff? I don't think so. Okay, I don't like that, but anyway, go ahead. So then he decides to go to Navarro in the Outer Rim, uh, and that is currently being run by who we know as Carl Weathers, uh, but he is the High Magistrate Karga. Right. And again, of course, he's trying to clean things up. Uh, he's trying to be like um, uh, one, of, one of the shipping towns that do isn't under the thumb of whatever the regime is, whether it be the Empire, whether it be the Republic, wants to be self-whatever, okay? And he says, hey, you know, we, we had a deputy here. We don't got a deputy now. Mando, do you want to be the deputy? And he's like, I got to do my thing first. But before I go, um, I need IG-11. Now, when they come into the town and they have the, uh, the thing celebrating the bravery of IG-11, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. I was thinking to myself, I'm like, how sad must it be to have the life of a droid where when you die, quote unquote, they just take you and turn you into a statue in the middle of town. How right I was because that's apparently what they did. They salvaged as much of them that they could. They put them as a thing in the middle of town. And uh, unfortunately, based on whatever happened, there wasn't enough of them. He had reverted back to his old programming, which was to try to kill Baby Yoda. Right. So may, uh, uh, Carl Weathers suggests to Mando that he should take them to the little mini uh, Ugnaughts that are in town. Right, he took it to the Baba Fricks. The Baba Fricks. 
<laughs> and uh, the Baba Fricks try to uh, fix them, but they say that it's missing a part. And if Mando can get that part, we could fix IG-11 back to be who you need it to be. Because obviously Mando can't do what he needs to do without his trusty droid companion. Uh, but of course, while in Navarro, there's an issue with some pirates that come. Uh, the bar that they used to hang out in Navarro has been turned into a school. They don't like that very much. Carl Weathers shushes them away with the help of Mando. When Mando leaves, the pirates run afoul of him. Um, there's a giant, uh, Gorian Shard, who's got like a Swamp Thing head. He's the head of the pirates. Yep. He, he turns his tractor beams on. Uh, Mando and Mando tells Baby Yoda, very important lesson, never touch a pirate and flips into hyperdrive and escapes. I'm sure that won't come and bite him in the hiney uh, later on. And uh, we we learn that um, he he goes to see whatever Katie Sackoff Boba Fett's name is. Right, Bo-Katan or something like that. Right. Uh, Mando goes to her and is like, hey, where's your crew? I need your help. We're going to go, and we're, I'm going to go back to Man Mandalore. I'm going to do my thing so I can go back into the main group. She says, they all left me because I don't have the Black Saber anymore. Um, do you have the Black Saber? And he says, yes, I do. And uh, in one of my favorite lines in the show, she says, if you go and wave that thing around, everyone will follow you. And I hope she was talking about the Black Saber. Um, <laughs> but... Now we have all these little side quests that Boba Fett has to complete first before he goes and does his main mission, which is bathing himself in the living waters of Mandalore. Right, the the purification of Lake Minnetonka. Yes. But a uh, couple of things. You, one thing you did m- miss out is that we found out that Cara Dune went home to her home planet. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just like she's like oh she got scooped away she didn't go because her whole planet was alderaan but uh they're like oh she went to special forces while nobody was looking um i like that and on the ig88 stuff i'm like ah, yeah it's kind of sad that he becomes a robot and i like the fact when they took him out there was just like parts of like the parts that they that they couldn't find they made the legs so there's still like half an ig11 in the thing but it's like once again you can't you can't kill anything in the Star Star Wars universe anymore. It's like, oh, we destroy. And if you could fix IG Eleven, why didn't you fix him? Yeah, you know, like he comes back and he's like, oh, I want to fix IG Eleven. Oh, why didn't we think of that? The the robot we all knew and loved. I'm like, oh my god, is there a back to tank for robots, Joe? Because that would make things easier. Apparently, there's not. There's a special chip that you have to go and find. Right, which is like you said, the first side quest. So yes, uh, and but, uh, what did you call the the, the mini Ugnots? What did you call them? The Baba Ganooks? The Baba Fricks? Come on! When you go to the comic shop, ask Josh about Baba Frick. It's his favorite character. So, um, but um, they're they're trying to do their they're trying to do their do- their droid work, mm-hmm. and uh, Baby Yoda is too too busy trying to squeeze him and give him hugs. Because they're even more adorable than he is, which well, them somehow him trying to hu- baby Yoda trying to hug the Baba Fricks makes ba- baby Yoda even more adorable, and they even call him a bad baby. Right. I will say this: it turns into a cute infinity loop while he's trying to hug them. Yes. But uh, I did like the fact that baby Yoda likes to use the Force to swivel himself in chairs. That's I would if I had the force. First two things I would do is swivel myself in a chair, 
than force choke someone to death. I was going to say crush someone's windpipe. <laughs> yep. A close I always second. said if I had force powers, I wouldn't have them 10 minutes before that happened. And I wouldn't be a dope like Vader who I have to like raise my hand and like pretend like I'm choking you from a distance. Yeah, I'm crushing your larynx. I'm crushing your larynx. Yeah. You wouldn't even know it was me. Yep. It'd be like, ooh, who's who's doing it? I'd be darting my eyes back and forth. Could be anyone. Could be anyone, yep. Could be the Baba Fricks. For I would all say it's know. probably the Baba Fricks. Um, but this was a good episode, but it was a light episode. This yep. was just like, hey, remember Boba Fett? Well, he's or remember Mandalorian? He's back. He's got baby Yoda with him. Do you like him going on adventures? Well, not only does he have one big adventure to go on, we're going to give him like two or three little side adventures as well. I don't want to say that we're padding out the season because Mandalorian's usually a pretty good show. But like I said, not a lot really like in-depth happened. You know, it was just kind of laying the groundwork for what's going to happen for the rest of the season. Yep. So, and Joe, I will say this. I think that was more than five sentences to describe. I think- I think it was closer to seven, but okay. Okay, so I think you lost. But anyway. Uh, Yeah, but I'm looking forward to the next uh, episode of uh, Mandalorian here. Right. And uh, yeah, that's it, right? I think so. I don't think we have any more, so. No, so the only one little side note is, uh, I'll just throw this in here at the end, the uh, Oshka uh, TV show. Yeah. Um, which was previously on, and I think it still is on IMDb that it says it's coming out the very specific date of March 12th. I don't think it is, though. I don't think it is either, because you would inform me that um, Rosario Dawson gave an interview saying that it was going to come out in the fall of 2023. Yep, no tentative date, but around there, yes. Right, no tentative date, but she then gave an interview over this past weekend where she said it might now be looking like summer of 2023. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's and it. Maybe so, by tomorrow it'll be March 12th. Right. You know, so who really knows when it's coming out? I think it's just like a one-off anyway. It's just like a standalone deal, right? Oh, it might be like the uh, the Werewolf by Night one, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what it looks like, because at least, and again, you can't trust IMDb, unfortunately, but everything just lists one episode. Like, usually, like, even, like, when you would go to something, it would have, like, dummy, like, empty placeholders for, like, we know the season is going to be eight episodes or ten episodes or whatever it is, but episode one is out, and then all the other episodes are like, we'll add more information as, inf- you know, we'll uh, we'll add more info as episode information becomes available. There is no multiple episodes. It's one episode, so. Right, like like for Mandalorian, it'll be slot 3.2, 3.3, 3.4, 3.4 right. And this, there's just one slot for one episode. Yep. Coming on anywhere from March 12th to fall <laughs> fall of 2023. Right. We'll keep our eyes open. That's right. When we know, you'll know, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, hey, everyone. Thanks very much for listening. This was episode 648 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain.
You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars.